We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com. Your hope for everything Lakers. I am right now live over on AMP. So if you are joining me on that platform, welcome in. Going to be opening up the call-in line in just a moment. If you're watching over on the YouTube channel, if you are listening on the podcast feed, welcome in. Of course, I would recommend that you subscribe all three places to us if you don't mind over on amp you can find me at trevor lane you can subscribe there get notified every time the show goes live and you can join and be part of the program over on the youtube channel subscribe don't forget to turn on those notifications and of course on the podcast feed as well would love to get that five-star rating and review over on apple podcasts so the lakers got the big win last night in game one against the warriors i mean just an absolutely monstrous performance by Anthony Davis was incredible. It was one of those performances where as you're watching it unfold live, you're just thinking, oh my gosh, like this, this is really happening. It was one of those, I don't know if all time great defensive performances is, is going too far, but it was clear we were witnessing something special as it was happening. It was so amazing. The things that Anthony Davis was doing out there, even just looking at it from a perspective of, you know, not just the incredible blocks. I mean, my God, he blocked the shot while facing the wrong way. Like he blocked a shot backwards on Andrew Wiggins. Like that's ridiculous. He blocked a shot facing the wrong direction, but beyond just incredible highlight, real plays like that, his rotations, his closeouts, were unbelievable all night long. I mean, Anthony Davis was fantastic in this game. And, and that's why, you know, I don't want to bury the lead here and not talk enough about AD. I'm sure we're going to talk to him as I open up the call-in line and we get callers coming in. But beyond AD, the Lakers just showed a sharpness. They showed an attention to detail. They showed a seriousness that they needed a respect for this series, for this opponent that they had to have and they got it. And it was very cool to see. I felt like as a team, the Lakers raised their level of play to match the quality of the opponent. And that was phenomenal to, to see that from the, this Lakers team. Now, there, does that mean there are things they can't do better or this is their ceiling? No, there's apps. And that's what's exciting. This is not their ceiling. There's improvements that can be made. They can certainly shoot better than 24% from three. This can get better than what we're seeing right now. But this was a very nice game to get a win in, given the, the fact that the Lakers did up their level of play so much. I liked what we saw out of them on both ends of the floor. Yes, the offense sputtered in the final few minutes, but overall, you got to be optimistic here. Now, the Warriors, they're not panicking. They're not panicking in any way. Look, they've been in this situation before. They were in this situation against the Kings. They go down in a series, and they can fight back. 
They're a veteran team. This isn't like, like if you're playing the Sacramento Kings, maybe they'd be feeling a little pressure right now. Like, uh oh, man, we better win game two. Otherwise, we're in big trouble. Like the Warriors, they know they need to win game two, but they're not panicking right now. They've been in this situation before. They know what it's like. They've fought through it. In no way are the Warriors going away or is this suddenly going to become a sweep or anything like that. This is going to be a hard-fought series and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a chess match because now the adjustments are going to start. Now we're going to see Steve Kerr and the Warriors are going to start to adjust to the things that the Lakers did in Game 1. Darvin Ham, the Lakers coaching staff, they're going to have to counter those adjustments. You have to adjust to the adjustments. Back and forth you go. I'm going to go ahead and open up the call-in line right now over here on AMP. So we'll get some callers in in just a moment. But uh, it's the adjustments to the adjustments, the chess match. That's going to be really fascinating to see as this series progresses because the Warriors, they're going to start to do things to try to take away Anthony Davis. They're going to do things to try to make life difficult on him. And then when that happens, can other guys step up? Can other guys do things in order to help the Lakers get the win? Can you get guys um, like, say, an Austin Reeves? Can he have a bigger offensive performance? Can you get 20 points? out of him what about D'Angelo Russell who I thought had a pretty nice game 19 points for him in uh in game one can you get even more from him LeBron can you get the three point shots to start falling right there's going to be more pressure put on other guys to do some things but that's going to be a lot of the fun of the series too is adjusting to those adjustments and I thought the Lakers did a really nice job against Memphis in round one of Taking what the Memphis defense was giving them, and by the way, Memphis is a tremendous defensive team, taking what that defense was giving them and punishing them with it. Say, punish, I say it all the time, punish teams for their choices, and that's exactly what the Lakers did to Memphis. And I do wonder if the Lakers are going to be able to do that against Golden State as this series progresses. All right, I've got a lot of callers coming in already. We'll bring in some folks, and uh, and we'll talk some Lakers basketball here. For, uh, we'll go for oh, probably about an hour here or so something something like that all right let's see who we'll, we're going to start with here let me see if i can get one to come through obviously tons to talk about in this series and man i am expecting expecting a lot of fun here all right my guy senpai nft joining us how are you doing man doing good especially you know it's when you win like that it's one of those things where you just you wake up in the morning just with a smile on your face from the night before it's it's always in good spirits after wins like that absolutely absolutely yeah you there were moments of dread the lakers went in that what almost four minute scoring drought and that was yeah uh, scary moments there scary moments but they pulled it out in the end, and that was that was phenomenal to see. So, what were you, what were you thinking coming out of that? I mean, aside from just being happy that they won, which uh, certainly we all were, were happy to see them win. That would have been tragic had they lost that game, given how well they played. But uh, what what were you thinking coming out of that game? Yeah, so I think the main thing for me uh, was that eighties minutes he played a lot, and I think that was direct. Well, obviously he was elite, and you know, it's when he's playing that well, you want to play him that much, but. I think Darvin Am has to be a little more careful going forward in the series. That was the longest rest they'll get all series. Every game the series now is every other day. It's only one day of rest, whereas prior to last night, their game was on Friday, so they had some rest. Uh, and so I, I think an adjustment at least to 80s minutes, even if you only cut it down by like 
in like three minutes just so he's not playing the entire second half. Like you give him either rest to end the third quarter or to start the fourth quarter, uh, I think will be will be beneficial. I think it's going to be necessary going forward to keep AD able to play at an elite level the whole game. I I agree with that. I think that you know, 44 minutes is maybe a bit much. You cut it down to say 41. Wenyan Gabriel played four minutes. So maybe you just rely on Wenyan to play seven minutes. Okay. And, and off you go there. And obviously AD is a major factor when he's out there on the floor. He's, you know, can you withstand the non AD minutes is certainly a question worth asking. But at the same time, I think that I also give Darvin Ham credit for just going for it. Like they played so well that game that Coming off of three days of rest, I think he knew, hey, if I need to push AD a little bit more, we had this rest in the bank. I can do that this game in order to make sure that we get this win. And so I think he took advantage of the rest factor. And that was, I think, a smart move by Darwin. But I think you're right. I think that asking AD to play 44 minutes per night all series might be tough, particularly if this winds up being a long series. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And it's it, credit to Darvin Ham for recognizing that we have the rest advantage and, you know, keeping 80 out there. Uh, I, I got to it looked like the legs kind of caught up to the Warriors. Like um, during that run, I know, I know you probably remember that one play, Andrew Wiggins had like two or three offensive rebounds in a row and the Warriors had like three good looks from three and they just missed all of them. That right there kind of just felt like, yeah, that that's just legs catching up with them at that point. Yeah, that that could well have been the case. I mean, they still shot well from uh, from three. You know, they wound up shooting forty percent from deep, which is which is pretty darn good. But yeah, you're right. The legs may have got to them at some point. And credit to the Lakers for taking advantage. And now we're going to see they're going to be on an even playing field in terms of rest. What does that look like for for the rest of the series? I'm um, looking ahead to game two. What? anything in, in particular that you're concerned about or, or what adjustments do you think the Lakers need to make? Yeah, I think the biggest adjustment up. So obviously throughout the series, you don't want to show like your whole hands, like game one, even game two, you want to keep stuff in the bank, like for later in the series. I do think this is probably a series. We're better off starting Dennis Schroeder over D'Lo, but I don't think that's an adjustment you make yet. I think you kind of save that for later on. Um, but for this game, I really think we need to incorporate uh, Vanderbilt better in the offense. He's so elite defensively, as we saw last night, that it almost dictates we need to have him out there because of just how good he was. Uh, And with that, you know the Warriors are going to be scheming, okay, how can we take advantage of Vanderbilt not being impactful offensively? Like You know that is probably their number one game plan right now. Uh, and what they're trying to figure out. And so the Lakers, I really want to see him get used. Like it's, They've just been relying on him to just knock down corner threes, which drives me insane. Um, like, yeah, like one or two, like taking them a night is cool, but when they just, they're just relying on it by just not using him in off-ball actions is, is frustrating. Uh, you look at the, the Heat-Nick series, uh, a couple times Bam has sat in the corner Uh, on offensive possessions and what they've been doing is there'll be a drive or a post and a kick out to ban because his man is helping. And then he would immediately run a corner DHO with whoever the guard was on the wing and get them an essentially an open corner three because the, the guy guarding Bam isn't coming out to guard him. So stuff like that, I'd really like to see get implemented for this next game. 
I like are you talking when you're talking about getting Vando more involved on the offensive end, I'm assuming you're talking about more as a as a screener and not necessarily as a target. Exactly. Yeah. Pin down screens, dribble handoffs, et cetera. Not as like a score or an initiator. No, nothing along those lines. Yes. Yeah. His, his hands are, are suspect enough to where I, I wouldn't put him in those situations, but yes, as a screener, absolutely. Just, just mixing it up a little bit because otherwise every time you camp Vando in the corner, yes, you can get that corner three anytime you want it, but there's a reason why you're getting that corner three anytime you want it. And you're also conceding that whoever's defending Vando can just camp in the paint and try to clog things up for AD or LeBron or whoever else is trying to get in there. So I do think you're right. I think there needs to be a bit more diversification there on the offensive end, but It'll be interesting to see how that works out because Vanda, like you said, my goodness, what a defensive performance from him um, in this game. He was he was phenomenal, um, and it's going to be inter- interesting to see how the Warriors attack him from here. But uh, but Senpai, thanks so much for for hopping on here, man. I always appreciate it. Yep, thanks for having me as always, Trevor. Have a good one. You too. All right. We'll get to our next color in just a moment here. You know, one of the things I'm going to be watching is do the Warriors put the ball in the hands of Steph Curry more in game two in terms of high screen and roll rather than letting Bando just trail Curry Curry off ball? Do they put him in high pick and roll opportunities and then try to capitalize on the Lakers playing uh, drop coverage defensively? That'll be something that's going to be interesting to see. And then how do the Lakers react if uh, if they go ahead and do something like that? So... One of the things I'm going to be keeping an eye on as we as we get into game two of this series. By the way, as I'm bringing in my next caller, I do want to note um, we are going to have uh, a watch party coming up. And that's going to be um, over in Hollywood. That's coming up tomorrow for game two. So for game two tomorrow, we're going to be at State Social House in West Hollywood. So if you want to come hang out in person and you're in Southern California, you want to watch a game with us. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the Lakers Nation staff members are going to be there. Tomorrow, game two, doors open at 5.30. We're going to be at State Social House in West Hollywood. Remote viewers, if you can't get there, join us over on Playback, playback.tv slash Lakers Nation. Sean Davis, Jeff Spiegel are going to be there doing the live play-by-play, so you guys can join them remote if you want to, or if you're in the area, come join us over on over at State Social House. Again, doors open at 5.30. There's an app called the Party Shark app. That's how we know how many people are showing up and everything. Uh, download that app, Party Shark, and then register to come join us. 5.30, State Social House, West Hollywood, tomorrow for Game 2. We'll all hang out and watch the game together. All right, joining me is Greek Vibes. Greek Vibes, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Trevor? Appreciate the call. I'm I'm doing doing great, doing great in the wake of a, a Lakers win. That was, I mean, much needed, and so great to see them them get that W and just to see what such a great playoff performance from Anthony Davis. So I'm doing fantastic. Uh, what what are your thoughts? What's on your mind? Well, for starters, um, it feels good to start taking game ones um, for the last two rounds. You know, if you remember the bubble, uh, we're losing like every game one that we played on that title run. So if it feels good to start winning some game ones and build momentum from the stretch. Yeah. Frank Vogel was using those as kind of feel and he was great at it, but they were using those as feel out games. And then, and this is what the Warriors are going to try to do, by the way, against the Lakers here, what they're going to try to do is, and, and Draymond Green was actually here on amp last night talking about this. Um, what the Warriors will do is they'll say, okay, now we got a feel for what the Lakers are doing. Now let's sit down today. They're going to be looking at the film. And how do we beat this? How do we 
counter what the Lakers are doing. So, and Frank Vogel was great at that. Frank Vogel would game one. Oh, okay. Portland did this, this, and this let's attack this, this way. All right. This worked for Houston. Cool. Markeith Morris, you're going to go play center and we're going to, and we're going to attack it this way or Hey, you know, game to game. Frank Vogel did just did a great job making adjustments, particularly after that game one feel out. So that's exactly what the Warriors are going to try to do with the Lakers, but still nonetheless, if you have the ability to go up one Oh, by all means go up one Oh, it doesn't get, get one win out of the way, get it done and then adjust to the adjustments from there. So I, I agree. Look, it was, it was great to see the Lakers get a win. I don't think the Warriors are concerned at this point, but fantastic to see the Lakers get a win there in game one. Yeah, definitely. You know, the Warriors, they were down 2-0 to the Kings, and, you know, they won the next three. So definitely, um, I mean, use this on our side, but, you know, like Kobe said, job's not finished. Absolutely. Job's not finished. I will say this, though, right? So the Warriors were on the road the first two games in Sacramento. If the Lakers go up 2-0, does it mean more because they would have beaten the Warriors twice in Golden State and then get to go back to LA up to a, like, does that, do you think that would be a bit, or is it just the Warriors are such a good veteran team that it doesn't really matter where they're playing? I think, I definitely think it's an advantage for us if we go up 2 0 because uh, on the road, because if you look at their road record on the season, right, I think it was like, 10 and 40 or something like that, nine and 39, they were terrible on the road. So, you know, and we haven't lost at home yet. So I think, you know, if we go up 2-0 on the road and in the series, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be hard for the Warriors and tough for them that, you know, win two in a row in LA or, or take one in LA. Now they, they did win game seven on the road and Steph Curry went for 50. So they're still dangerous, but I, I think there is something too. And, and the Lakers had this opportunity against Memphis too. If you go up 2-0, beating your opponent twice in their home, like that's that's a statement, right? That says that says something. Now it doesn't mean the series is over, obviously against Golden State, but that would be massive. And I felt like that opportunity was very much right there for the taking against Memphis and the Lakers just didn't take advantage of it. I don't know what game two is going to look like, if the opportunity is going to be there to win that game or not, or what's going to happen. There's going to be big adjustments and we'll see what it looks like. But if that opportunity is there, I sure hope the Lakers take advantage of it because I do think it means something to go up 2-0 on the road and then get to go back home with that kind of momentum. I think that would be massive for the Lakers in this series. Um, what what else are you looking at in, in this? Are you looking at, what are you looking at when you're looking ahead to game two? Anything you're particularly concerned about from the Warriors or the Lakers or, or what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I think we could have played better defensively. Um, something that bothered me last game, Trevor, was when Anthony Davis would stand in the paint. And I know why they did that. They did that because they wanted to prevent offensive rebounds by Kevin Looney. But literally... If Kevin Looney, Kevin Looney set a screen, there would be nobody else to help out the person guarding Steph Curry on the screener. As far as like Anthony Davis showing up after the screen. Yeah, and he's kind of in that, that drop. Yeah, like a switch or over or under. There was nobody there. It was literally two guys out there. One person setting the screen. The other person has the ball. And then you have a defender trying to take on two people. Well, that's the that's the challenge, right? That's the pick your poison moment. And I do expect to see the Warriors exploit that more in game two, where they're going to put Steph more as a ball handler in pick and roll situations to try to attack that. But the question then becomes, well, okay, if you're if it's AD getting put in that action and AD shows up 
All Curry's got to do is get the ball up on the rim. I mean, Kevon Looney had seven offensive rebounds in 29 minutes. He had 23 rebounds in this game. Looney's going to feast on the glass if, if AD is not in there to contest with him. So that's going to be the challenge. How the Lakers handle that is going to be really interesting if the Warriors force their hand and Steph starts shooting a bunch of pull-up threes coming out of pick-and-roll situations with Looney. Do you, if you're the Lakers, do you send AD up higher to try to at least contest the shot? And then if you do, how what's your plan for dealing with Looney? Roll into the basket and gobbling up all the offensive rebounds. Ideally, maybe it's LeBron there to tag Looney, at least you know, probably the next most physically strong Laker. But that's going to be... I think a problem for the Lakers to solve in game two. So Trevor, let me ask you this real quick and then, you know, we can move on to another caller. Um, what would you rather do? Cause obviously the warrior strength is shooting threes. So would you rather have AD come up on those screens and do a switch? Or would you rather keep the things the way it is that Darvin Ham did last time, him sitting in the paint and have them shoot threes rather than worrying about them going to the basket? I think it's a little bit of a maybe this is a non-answer of an answer, but I think you do you do both. Honestly, I think you've got to mix up your strategies because if the Warriors are consistently, if they're seeing all game drop coverage, okay, well they're going to settle into a rhythm and start beating drop coverage. If they're seeing all game a blitz on the pick and roll, they're going to figure out how to beat that and settle into a rhythm. You've got to mix things up consistently. I think ideally, if the game's on the line. I've probably got AD going up and showing, and I'm trusting that LeBron is going to tag from the weak side. Maybe use Rui a little bit more because he's 6'8", has that 7'2 wingspan, and you use him to at least put a little bit of a body on, on Looney as well. It's also possible that the Warriors will pull Looney in late-game situations like they did um, in this one. So it's something to, to consider, but I think more often than not, I'd prefer to not let Steph Curry just rain threes on me, and so I would have AD up and showing. But again, I think you have to mix it up as much as you can so that there isn't that comfort level throughout this, the game of seeing the same defensive coverages all night. All right, we're going to pause for just one moment. Need to give a shout out to our sponsor, and that is Shady Rays. I love Shady Rays. This is, this is no joke here. This is not for an ad read or anything like that. Shady Rays have been my daily driver sunglasses for years, even before they became a sponsor. I literally have five pairs of Shady Rays because I've bought so many different styles. Um, they're absolutely phenomenal. So our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and much more. They're an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures and that's not all shady rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear every pair of sunglasses is backed by the lost and broken replacements if you lose or break your pair even one on day one they told us they will send you a brand new pair no questions asked wear your shady rays with confidence because they have your back long after your purchase i can confirm this i had my sunglasses sitting on the seat in my car i sat on them i broke them I contacted them, got a replacement pair sent to me. This was a year and a half ago that, that this happened. And I and they sent me the replacement sunglasses. Phenomenal, phenomenal stuff from them. I don't see that from sunglasses companies. Uh, with Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they've donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair 
or return them for free within 30 days. No risk when you shop with Shady Rays. They have your back. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving you their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code LakersNation for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Yeah, I agree. If we lose to the Warriors uh, by points in the paint, you know, we'll live with it. We'll live with it because, you know, their strength is shooting three. So, you know, same thing you said, pick your poison. So I'm just looking yeah. forward to the adjustments that Ham makes next game and, and and we'll see what happens from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hey, thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, Trevor. Talk to you soon. Thanks, man. All right. <clears throat> so in terms of, of pick your poison, the adjustments that Ham makes, let me – you know, there, there's a, a thought that I've got on that. And that's that I do wonder, just kind of mentally preparing for game two. Do the Lakers kind of start slow? And I'm not suggesting that they should start slower. That's what I want to see or anything like that. But the Warriors are the team that really has to adjust. They lost game one. They have to adjust the most in this series. They, they're the... Pressure is on them to make adjustments now because they lost game one. So I do wonder if we see most of the adjustments the Lakers make primarily, if those come at halftime of game two, because they're not going to have an idea of exactly what adjustments the Warriors are going to make. They can make guesses. They can take make assumptions that, hey, the Warriors are probably going to do this and that and, and this and that. But I do think that Darvin Ham and the, and the head coach, the coaching staff are going to have to do a lot of tinkering at halftime, as well as on the fly in this game to truly react to the switches that uh, that the Golden State Warriors start to pull. All right, joining me is uh, Jimmy Dahl. Jimmy, how are you doing? Good, good. How are you doing, Trevor? Doing well, doing well. What's uh, what's on your mind? So I wanted to remind you of uh, a, couple, a few weeks ago when we were talking about Anthony Davis and his woes and all that stuff. And, mm-hmm. and I told you, you know, a lot of people were getting on him. And I said, Everybody who's complaining is on crack. This guy is a top five player, and there's nobody in the NBA that I'd rather have on this team than him. And you made the comment, well, what if Denver called? And I, you know, and they offered Jokic. And my response was, I'd tell him to kick rocks. This is mm-hmm. exactly why. The guy is top one defense, top five offense. There's nobody else in the NBA. He can shoot free throws. Giannis can't. This guy proved yesterday exactly. He's AD was phenomenal in this game. I think the question we've always known that the ceiling is there and even, even knowing his ceiling yesterday's game was, was impressive. I mean, it was very impressive seeing what he did, but we've always known that he's got this ceiling of being, I mean, potentially net, like if, if, if Anthony Davis were to play at that level for the minimum to win the MVP next year is going to be 65 games. If he played at that level for 65 games, he's the MVP like there. I mean, it's, he is, absolutely phenomenal when he's at his best he's unreal um the issue is how many games is he going to play and then are you going to get that out of him night in night out? i mean heck even look at last series we saw ad there were two games in the memphis series where offensively he just you know he was defensively he was great all series but offensively there were two games where you just didn't get much out of him um and so that's where where fans can get frustrated with him but Man, that that ceiling is there. That ceiling, he is so so talented. It is it's unbelievable seeing the stuff that he's doing. And again, a lot of it is on the defensive end of the floor, but he can be an absolute beast offensively too, uh, which we saw in this one. I mean, look, 
if this if we knew we were getting this out of AD every single night, then yeah, I, I probably wouldn't trade him for for Jokic either because of his impact on the defensive end of the floor. I think the question with them has always been the consistency. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. I think that's a concern that a lot of people have. And of course, you know, what is it? Availability is the, the best thing to have. Um, but I wanted to make a couple other points because I don't want to take up your time. Uh, what's going on with LeBron James? I, I feel like he's not the same person since the trade deadline. Yeah, that's been and that's in the going on in our chat right now as well. Jake's takes is talking about it. Um, and uh, and so is Millen talking about about LeBron and what's going on with him. You know, I think it's a couple of things. I, I think that he can't. I think the foot injury is still a thing. You can see it when he's going to explode. He's just not quite as explosive as he used to be. And maybe part of that is, hey, he's 38 years old, and that's just that's what happens. But he's not quite as explosive. And then the outside shot just isn't falling. He's been relying over the years on his three more and more and more, which is normal. You would expect that to be the case. I mean, look at Jordan relied on his jumper more and more and more the older he got. Same thing with Kobe relied on the jumper and the footwork more and more as he got older. So LeBron's relied on the three and that just hasn't been there. And so that's created this big negative perception of LeBron, which I mean, look, he was 22, 11 and four and it's, Oh my gosh, he played a terrible game. Um, which I didn't think he was, he was bad in the game. Just, he has set the bar so insanely high because of how good he is. But, uh, the three point shot hasn't been there. So that's been, been part of it too. We're so used to seeing LeBron just physically dominate everybody else and then we got used to, okay, LeBron, he's going to go on a heater from behind the arc then. And we're not seeing either one of those things. And so there's this unfamiliarity with it. And I think ultimately the threes need to start falling. I would like to see him maybe dial those back a little bit until they do, until he gets into a rhythm. Because a one for eight shooting night from three, you look at the rest of the team, aside from like D'Angelo Russell was one for five, AD was 0 for two. But I mean, the, the team shot, okay. Like if, if you just cut down on those attempts, it's easier to weather LeBron having a, a, a rough spell here from behind the arc. So that's something that um, it looks like I, I lost Jimmy there, but that's something that's a, that's a factor. It's just the three point shooting has not been falling. But while I'm saying that LeBron's not quite as explosive, getting to the basket. We saw moments where you could tell he just kind of thought, okay, I need to right now. I have to push down on the gas pedal right now. And he did. Um, we've seen him do that. He just, he can't do it all game. Can't do it all game. The three hasn't been falling. And so that's created frustration. Those are loud misses when LeBron misses from three, right? Especially now that we're seeing teams really sag off of him behind the three point line. So that's part of it too. But while I'm saying all of that and why people are asking, you know, what's wrong with LeBron and, and all these things, I also have to give him a ton of credit and look, he's had some of the sloppier turnovers as well. If I want to kind of rattle off the three issues with LeBron, it's he's not as explosive. The three's not fallen. He's had one or two price sloppy turnovers each game. Okay. All those are, are issues for sure. But we also have to give him credit for what he's doing defensively. It's almost like, I wonder if to some degree in his head, he recognizes that, Hey, I, I don't, have the ability to just dominate offensively right now. I'm not going to be able to just take over the game, nor do I necessarily have to on this team. When Austin can get a bucket, D'Lo can get a bucket, right? AD, of course, right? It goes without, without saying, but I've got these other guys who can put the ball in the basket. But defensively, you look at what he's done so far in the postseason. I mean, averaged 11 rebounds per game against Memphis. And that was with a 31-minute night 
in a blowout win in game six where he only had five boards. He had 20 rebounds, 20 rebounds in game four. Like he's doing, and he had 11 rebounds last night against the Warriors. He had four assists, three blocks, three blocks. He had three blocks in game one against Memphis. He's blocked one shot in every game except for the blowout win in game six. He had two blocks against Memphis in game five. You know, he has done, I'm sorry, game four. He's done a lot of work on the defensive end of the floor. And that's not to say he's locked down LeBron anymore. Give me Derrick Rose. I'm going to shut him down like he did back in the day. That's not what he's going to do now. But LeBron has been really good in terms of just being another physical presence on the boards. We talk a lot about, you know, how do you take some of the pressure off of AD to get rebounds and do all those things? I think LeBron has helped out with that tremendously by recognizing that, hey, I'm not exploding to the rim anymore and dunking over everybody. Instead, the fact that I'm 6'8", what is he, 250, I need to use that. I need to use that and really be a factor on the boards. We saw him get into bully ball mode. And so he's still finding ways to be effective. And then while you're getting that from him, from the Lakers perspective, you have to say, you know what? We don't know how this foot is going to heal Will the athleticism eventually return next round? Will it be they get to the finals? Is it then? Is it next season? Is it never? You don't know because he's managing an active injury. But you can say, hey, at least in the meantime, we're getting this out of LeBron defensively on the boards. He's blocking shots. He's being more of a presence around the basket. He can play bully ball. And if we do get that positive regression that I still think has got to be coming on his three-point shot, then you've really got something. Now, again, you're kind of treading water until you can get that, but you're into round two with LeBron shooting horribly from three. Like that's, that's really impressive. He shot 12% in game one. He shot 19% for the series against Memphis and the Lakers advanced and the Lakers got a win against the Warriors because he's able to contribute in other ways. And because this team has depth now that allows him to withstand things like that. So that's my, my rant on LeBron. It's not perfect. And there's things that we're seeing that are not what we're used to seeing. And that's why it's raising red flags and people are saying, what's going on with LeBron? But I think we're also not taking enough time to recognize the things that he's doing in order to try to make up for those things. I think about, you know, think about Kobe back in game seven in 2010, had a terrible shooting night. But then you look at what he did on the glass. You look at what he did in other areas of that game. It's like he saw, hey, I'm not getting it done here scoring the basketball the way I normally do. So I'm going to have to do these other things to help out. I think LeBron is, is making an impact on the floor, even when the shot's not falling. And when it does start falling, oh boy, that, that could be a lot of fun. If we do start to get a regression to the mean stretch here from LeBron, where we see his numbers normalize a bit. All right. Going to bring in another caller here. Uh, Jake's takes Jake. I know you had some thoughts on, on LeBron. Uh, what are you, what are you thinking? Yeah. Um, thanks Trevor for having me on love Lakers nation, uh, along with, I assume everyone else who listens to this podcast and the, you know, all the content, but a big problem that I have with LeBron and his tendency to take threes or lazy jumpers as some might call them is just the fact that he's choosing to do that. Of course, we talk a lot about his waning explosiveness and the fact that he's nursing an injury. And all these things are absolutely true and valid and need to be taken into account. But what also needs to be taken into account 
is that he's debatably the most intelligent basketball mind that this game has ever seen when it comes to remembering plays, knowing opponents' plays, just knowing nearly everything there is to know about the game. It's hard to believe that he doesn't at least acknowledge that the decision-making out there on the court that he's playing with right now is subpar. And I'm referring specifically to, like, I think he's taking nine threes a game and he's shooting 17 or 16% from three over the last few weeks. It just doesn't make sense to continue to shoot them when you know that his foot's bothering, when he knows that his foot's bothering him and he probably shouldn't. So I just get a little frustrated, not because of the result, but because of the process, the process makes no sense to me. If you know it's not working, then just simply don't do it, especially when you're LeBron. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement there. As far as I think ultimately the shot's going to come around and the only way it's going to come around is if you take the open looks, but there were a few where he shouldn't have, have pulled the, for example, the, the, the one everybody's going to refer to, you know, the Lakers get a stop. They, they finally, you know, they stop the bleeding. The Warriors had tied the game and then they're able to D'Lo gets a layup. LeBron gets to the free throw line. makes one misses one Lakers get another stop on a Jordan pool miss. AD gets the rebound and then LeBron pounds the arrow to the ball for the entire possession. He got, I believe he got a switch. I'm trying to remember who was on him. I want to say it was clay and took a step back three rather than going to the basket. And that was, you know, essentially potentially game on the line. I mean, Jordan Poole missed the three coming off of that, that miss from LeBron, but yeah, that's, that's where you've got to know, Hey, I need to get to the basket here. I need to put my head down and get this going. Some of the other ones where the ball gets swung to him and he's wide open. I don't, I, that's the kind of, you know, it's in rhythm. You kind of, you kind of, you have to take that, right? That's, that's the shot you have to take. The ones that I have an issue with are, the kind of heat check three in transition. He did take one of those. And then the uh, and then the, the late game one, so making that be the shot that you take for essentially to put the game away. That was, to me, a, an issue. So I do agree there's some poor decision-making there, but I also wonder how much of him thinks, I just missed my last three, four, whatever. God, I'm due. These have to start dropping. I'm just going to. I'm just going to shoot it because he has hit these in the past, but ultimately, yeah, I would love, I would love to see the three point attempts, just eliminate the transition ones, just eliminate the ISO ones and get it down to like five threes per game. Like that would actually go a long way towards helping the Lakers efficiency. Yeah. Like a two for five game doesn't look nearly as bad. And also of course we're used to considering LeBron James to be like a God. We're used to considering him the best player of all time. But I feel like it couldn't hurt to treat him, in a sense, like, like he's human, like a regular basketball player that, that you need to run plays for. Obviously, uh, LeBron James is not the destroyer of worlds currently that we've known him to be. But that doesn't mean you can't run plays for him off ball. We saw the phenomenal alley-oop that he had in that game. That you know That was perhaps his best moment in the game, along with a few blocks he had. But... I feel like LeBron James, even at this stage of his career, can be one of the most dangerous off-ball cutters that the game has currently. And I just don't see them scheming that in enough. And, you know, before you know it, LeBron could have 26, 28, 30 points a game if more of his attempts came from being assisted, I guess, you know, whether it be Austin Reeves, Dennis Schroeder, or D'Angelo. 
Well, and, and we are seeing him off ball quite a bit more with the, this Lakers team than we're used to in the past. Now that he's got Reeves, now that he's got D'Lo on the floor with him. And so that's uh, that's been happening. But I, I do think you're right in terms of running things that are designed to get him rolling to the basket. And and Sean Davis and I were talking about that last night on the, on the postgame show, that if you can scheme in some ways to get LeBron with a head of steam going to the rim, get him off of some curls and things like that, that could be be beneficial for him and could be beneficial for for the Lakers as a team if you can get some things like that going. You know, and and I don't want to forget too, like we're coming off of that game, game six, LeBron was pretty masterful. I mean, he was he was extremely efficient. He was nine for 13 shooting, just picked his spots, five boards, six assists, uh, 22 points. He was plus 32. I mean, the Lakers were rolling in that game, but he really just let the, the flow of the game come to him. And, and didn't seem to be forcing too much. And so we'll see if he can kind of tap into that again as this series goes on. But I agree. If you can get some stuff with him rolling to the basket, that's certainly preferable. And then just let him be a decision maker. Let him be your secondary decision maker off of the cut and then trust that he's going to rifle the pass out to the right shooter at the right moment if that's what the situation calls for. Totally. And last thing I want to say before you can uh, can cut me off after this, but I was really impressed with, as you guys were mentioning before, D'Angelo Russell's ability in this game to get to the rim because I feel like it kind of unlocked the offense when the Warriors were expecting a lot of interior, uh, you know, paint attempts from AD, LeBron, Vando, even Reeves a lot of the time. But I don't think they really expect that from D'Angelo a lot. And I think he got the Warriors biting on a pump fake of his like three or four times in that game. And when he's able to create at the rim, especially with, you know, his, I guess on average slower foot speed than maybe some other guards, it really unlocks his perimeter shooting. And although he was like one for five from three in this game, taking rim attempts and, you know, driving off the dribble really does unlock his shooting, I think. And that can help him moving forward. I hope he continues to stick with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Jake, for coming on here. I do want to talk a little bit about D'Lo, but I'll, I'm going to hop on to the next caller. Thanks. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, good stuff as always from Jake. Um, I thought he had some good points uh, on LeBron in terms of just you know getting him a bit more on the move. The Lakers doing some things to get him going there. Um, as far as D'Lo goes, one of the things that was really interesting, uh, he mentioned D'Lo getting to the rim, and he did a nice job doing that a couple times late. I'm trying to remember if the first finger roll was against a zone defense or not, but one of the things the Lakers did that I thought was really interesting, and this was on the play. So the Lakers had gone, the Warriors went on their 14-0 run, and D'Lo was actually the one who broke the 14-0 run. And in that 14-0 run, D'Lo had airballed a three. Um, he had a corner three, pretty much wide open, and he shot it like a foot over the basket. I mean, disastrous, right? We thought, oh no, tragedy here. And then, so the Warriors are in their zone, and I believe D'Angelo Russell was brought back. A lot of people were, were saying, why did Jared Vanderbilt get benched? Why He was playing so well. Why would you bring D'Angelo Russell back into the game? I think part of it was because the Warriors went zone, how do you beat a zone? You beat it with outside shooting. And D'Angelo Russell is certainly going to give you more of that than Vanderbilt. So he got a wide open three almost immediately and just completely blew it. But then what was interesting, now he was able to get to the rim and and score, which was great. But the play to actually snap the 14-0 run from the Warriors, it was D'Lo in the middle of the zone. Typically, we think of Anthony Davis, right? You're big. So flashing up to the free throw line, typically that's your big that you want to hit there and then they can turn and face and do whatever they're going to do. Now, in this case, it was D'Angelo Russell. And I want to say he got the pass from LeBron who flashed up to the free throw line, got into the heart of the of the zone defense. And usually you want your, that's you know the soft spot of the zone. You want your offensive player, whether it's your big or whoever, to get there, turn, face, and then they can make a decision, attack the basket, find the pass, whatever it is, react to what the defense is doing. And D'Angelo Russell was the go-to guy in that scenario to take advantage of that. And I thought that was really interesting that of all the Lakers players on the floor, they went to him there and then he took Andrew Wiggins, got him on his hip and then made the layup to put the Lakers ahead. And as it turned out ahead for good and and help win the game. I thought that was really interesting the way they used him there. And D'Angelo Russell, as Jake said, did a good job of getting to the rim. I'm trying to find the exact play where he did it, but he had a couple of driving layups in this game. He had the one finger roll. He blew one finger roll off the back rim, but he had one finger roll where he got got to the basket. Just the defense didn't pick him up and he took advantage and he said, cool, you don't have a shot blocker on the floor right now. I'm going. And he's not a guy that you see get to the rim a lot. But then the fact that the Lakers used him as kind of not a perimeter zone buster, but as a cutter to come in and then as the decision maker 
as the linchpin to flash up to the free throw line. I thought that was really interesting, and I don't think Golden State was expecting that. They were so focused on where's AD, what's LeBron doing, all of that. Suddenly, here's D'Angelo Russell, and before they know it, D'Lo's doing that thing. He's got Andrew Wiggins in jail on his hip, and he's making the layup that essentially wound up uh, winning the game. So that was, I thought, really an interesting wrinkle and something I want to keep an eye on for next game in terms of the Lakers, in terms of D'Lo, what that ultimately looks like. Is that something they do consistently? Having D'Lo not just space the floor against a zone, but also flash up and then act as a decision maker. You know, D'Lo is 6'4", but from the draft, all the way in the back of the draft, we talked about this, um, the year that he was drafted, he's actually got a really long wingspan. It's that allows him to throw some passes at some weird angles and around people and stuff like that. So I don't hate the idea. Not all the time, but every once in a while, just to throw a different wrinkle in to make him that decision maker to attack the center of his own defense. I thought that was a really interesting adjustment um, by the Lakers. All right. Let me bring in another caller. I've got at least a few more minutes here. We'll go at least till the top of the hour. Um, and then I'll go back to rest of my voice a bit. But we got Black Mamba coming in. Black Mamba, welcome in. How are you doing? And you are on. There we go. Am, am I off mute now? Yep. Now you're off mute. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How about you, Trevor? I'm, um, I see you're listed as probable for game two. I, I am indeed listed as probable for for game two. I'm hanging in there. I'm I'm recovering. I'm getting my voice is getting a bit stronger every day. So that was rough losing my voice right during during playoff time, but getting a little better all the time. So I'm I'm definitely listing myself as probable for game two. Oh yeah, um, I could tell last night during the live stream your voice was going out. <laughs> it was it was not easy to get through, but uh, but we made it somehow, some way. We made it. Yes, sir. Um. Uh, real quick, I was kind of talking about this in the chat. It's kind of piggybacking off the last one about LeBron and his decision making. Um, it it seems like, like I was saying in the chat, his decision making is bleeding over into the last position of the game where we just, the offense just stagnates. We switch hunt. And I mean, I've always wondered, like, you know, we've got 24 seconds in the shot clock. Why not in the first 10 seconds? I mean, let's run a quick set. Let's run our go-to pin down for AD. And that takes, what, all of eight seconds. And if he doesn't get an advantage, okay, kick it back out. We can reset. And now let's shoot the, you know, the the LeBron patented step back three that we hate so much, but love when it goes in. I just wonder, like, why, what's, what's, what's wrong with running a set at the end of a game? It's just, it always bothers me. I agree 100%. This has been one of my pet peeves watching. And this isn't just a Lakers thing. I think this has been my sense is that there's a fear that, okay, hey, we want, and this is, again, not not just a Lakers thing, but, hey, we want our guy to be taking this shot. And if he gives the ball up, are we sure our guy is going to get the ball back? I don't think that's the right mentality. I think what you wind up doing is you take yourself out of your offense. You wind up settling for a bad look. And then you can put your opponent into transition off of a miss, which is exactly what happened. Uh, and fortunately, Jordan Poole missed on the other end. But I'm in complete agreement. I would rather see them run something. Heck, I would rather see them put uh, put Austin Reeves as the ball handler. We saw it against Memphis. And let him go to work and exploit whatever coverage the defense is, is throwing at you and let LeBron be a secondary attacker off of a curl or, or a secondary cut or something like that. Mix that in. 
it doesn't mean LeBron can't operate the ball out of a out of a high pick and roll or something like that, or you can't switch on at all, but have some other things in the in the toolkit to go to besides a we're gonna dribble out the clock, run as much time as possible, and the LeBron's gonna take a fadeaway three, and the long rebound is gonna put the Warriors in a, into transition. I didn't like it. I don't like that play call. I would prefer to see that as it, look because you can get that, and this speaks to your point. You can get that whenever you want. You can get that anytime you want. So why not at least try to generate something a little bit better first? And then, hey, if option one, two, and three don't work out, okay, let's settle for LeBron. You got to go take a hero shot. But before you worry about shooting a hero shot, let's try try to generate a genuine good look first and then go from there. Now, again, there's incentive to try to run out the clock as much as you can too. But if the result is going to be a long bomb fadeaway three that's contested, I don't know at this stage that that's the best look. So I would I would agree with you. That's my long-winded way of saying yes. This is something I've been. It's been driving me crazy for years. And again, it's a many teams in the NBA do it. I would much rather see them just run the offense and get somebody a good look and then go from there. Pause for just a moment to talk about game time. Ticket buying can be a very stressful experience. Personally, I am always trying to make sure that I'm getting the best deal, and that's not always easy to know. You have to go fully through the checkout process. Sometimes one app will say one thing, another app won't give you the final price until the end. It is a nightmare, but buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. They've got killer deals on last minute tickets and a best price guarantee. So you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun that you are going to have. Forget about planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. So you suddenly find yourself with a little bit of time. You have some friends that want to go do something. Grab tickets on game time. Game time, the guarantee means that you will always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's how confident they are in their best price game time guarantee. It is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You even get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use the code LakersNation for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code LakersNation for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, now I'm thinking about it. I'm sure the Warriors are feeling the exact same way right now after that Jordan Poole shot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they said they were happy with the shot, and it, and he look, he made a bunch of threes. He had what six threes on the night. Um, they said they were happy with the look, but I wonder if internally they really are, given how deep that shot was. But uh, you know, I mean, it was open. He was up. Although you see, Darvin Ham like put a hand up to defend him from the sideline. Oh, I did see that, and then he 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 was defending himself in the late game interview after yeah. the game. He was like, "Oh yeah. no, I was more never do such a thing." No, he wasn't, and he wasn't close enough to make any kind of a difference on the play. But, but you could just see it was like just the instinct from from his playing days took over, and he just instinctively put a hand up there. It was funny. It was hilarious. Um, the other thing I was thinking about was um, kind of uh, Austin Reeves and D'Lo. Like D'Lo had um, a, a very solid game, I thought. 
Austin, I thought he was solid as well. His numbers probably don't speak to it, but he was he was decent. But I kind of was thinking, Nick, one of the keys to gaining real, a real advantage in the series is figuring out a way um, D'Lo and Austin can, like, get off in the same game. Now, I don't, I don't necessarily know the X's and O's for that happening, but... Um, yeah, I, I, I think that their skill sets are complementary in that they they can do that. You can have either one of them operate as a as the primary ball handler in any given possession. And so that's something that that can indeed work for you. Um I think the key is going to be your three-point shooting in, in that scenario. Can both guys shoot well from three? Austin was 2 for 5. You'll take that. That's 40%. Delo was 1 for 5. Okay, you'd like to see him make one more. But if you can get both of them to shoot a decent percentage from deep, I think there's going to be opportunities, particularly in this series where we're going to see a lot more of the three guard lineup. So I don't think that's necessarily the, a, a bad goal for, for them to have. And I think it's something that would be, would be great to see. For sure. I think, yeah, that these three point shooting is definitely going to be the thing um, for Austin and definitely Devo too. Uh, but that's kind of all I have in my, on my mind. Appreciate you, man. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thanks. All right. All right. Let's get let's get another one in in here before we um, before we call it an afternoon somewhere around the top of the hour here. But we'll bring in another one here if we if we can. would be nice to see both D'Lo and, and Austin get going. I didn't think Austin had a bad game in, in game one. A lot of responsibility there defensively, too, for Austin. Just kind of chasing, being a helper, doing all those sorts of things. But five boards, three assists, ten points. He's pretty efficient. Four for nine shooting, two of five from three. We'll take it. We'll take that uh, from Austin Reeves. I'd like to see, you know, hey, 15 points. Great. That'd be fantastic if you can get that from uh, from him. All right, that one was not available. We'll try to bring in one more and see if this one can come on through. By the way, again, we're going to be at State Social House, 5.30 Pacific time. That's when doors open in Hollywood coming up uh, tomorrow for game two. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully you guys can come join us for that. And let's see if we can get this last one in. Nope, that one wasn't available too. There we go. Sid the Kid, welcome in. How are you doing? Hey, Trevor. Glad to see your voice is getting a little better. It's it's getting there. A little stronger each day. So uh, so I'll take it. I'll take it. Hey, what's uh what's on your mind, man? Uh, well, first off for me, I'm definitely glad we got that win yesterday. Much needed. I thought with the three days rest and the Warriors coming off a of game seven, it's kind of good to give them a gut punch of them riding high on a game seven and a 50 piece from Steph Curry and being able to go into their home and take one is always a good one. But I'm worried about Anthony Davis playing 44 minutes. Like, obviously he needs to be the main guy in this series for the Lakers to advance but I feel like 44 may be pushing it just a little too much. What do you think? 
I think it's a lot of minutes. I think the Lakers really went for it, though, to win this game and knowing that they had the rest advantage. And so they just said, hey, you know, we've got an opportunity here to win game one and get one in the bank. And so they went for it. I think, and we talked about this at the top of the hour, I think that uh, moving forward in the series, I don't know if you can count on playing him 44 minutes every night, chop that down to say 40, 41, something like that, and feed a few more minutes to Wenya. Now, I mean, I look, if AD can play 44, great, play 44. But I, I agree. I think he will start to wear down at some point. And the Lakers just in this situation took advantage of their their rest that they had compared to the Warriors. And they went after a win and, and they got it. But now from here, I do think they're going to have to limit those minutes a little bit in order to make sure he's effective because he did look pretty out of gas by the end of the game. Yeah. And then when it comes to um, adjustments for game two, I doubt that the Lakers are going to do this, but I have a strong feeling that the Warriors are going to go back to their either Draymond uh, to on the bench to start, or they're going to run a small lineup out there and bring Looney off the bench or something to start as kind of like to try because they went small on that 14-0 run. And I'm wondering if that's what they're going to come out with game two. Would it be a bad, this would be more of like a question for Sean, but would it be bad for us to go, small with them and put like the Rui LeBron four or five out there during an AD rest, like obviously start AD. Like I'm not saying bench him, but in those times that AD needs a rest instead of going to Wenyan, would Rui be a better fit against like a Draymond or like a Jeff green kind of give that spacing, but also give at least some type of energy and size to compete. Cause I just feel like Wenyan wouldn't be able to, chase and be a perimeter defender enough to at least give ad that rest that he needs in between stints that he plays in the quarter yeah that's probably the 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 counter if the warriors do wind up going small like that for stretches and you don't have ad on the floor it's probably you turn to that Rui and lebron lineup and let them go handle things um especially if it's you know if it's Draymond's in the middle Okay, LeBron can handle that. Rui can handle that. So, yeah, that's probably what I would do if if I'm the Lakers. Now, you still want to have a presence on the boards, and so there is something Wenyan can give you there. He's not the the worst at at contesting a bit on the perimeter as well. So, maybe you can just say, hey, he's given us enough energy, and he gives us a little bit as a little bit of rim protection, a little bit more than LeBron or or uh, Rui gives us. So, you could still try running him out there, but if the Warriors are really starting to light you up from behind the arc. And the offense is just struggling to get going because Wenyan doesn't offer the kind of floor spacing that Rui does. Um, I, yeah, making that switch would make a lot of sense, particularly since we just saw it against Memphis. And I think it's a little bit easier to pull it off um, if Draymond is kind of the lone big on the floor in this series. It may be more necessary if you're going to need somebody to go contest on Steph, on Jordan Poole, on whoever it is that's in that uh, that Warriors bench rotation. Yeah, yeah. It, I just feel like Rui deserves to play more minutes, but then also I can see where this can, wouldn't be a full thirty point or thirty minutes yeah. a game series for Rui. But I feel like he's deserved to, especially against Memphis. Playing, he played some four slash five in the Memphis series and did pretty well. But two last thoughts, really fast for you, Trevor. Wanted to get your opinion. Um, <clears throat> one, I really hope that unlike. I, I feel bad everybody's coming after LeBron. I, I understand the decision-making, but in his career, I've always seen him use game one as a feel-out game, 
And so I feel like that's sort of it. But then it's also, I, I see a little bit of hesitancy and I'm wondering if that foot issue that he came back from is kind of putting him in a spot of like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go as much as I can, but I'm going to like fall back on my jump shot a little bit more because I don't want to put too much pressure on my foot. I have a feeling that like every time I watch him, he wants to push off and he wants to make the right play, but then he maybe he has a hesitancy of that foot possibly flaring up and giving him an issue. And with how much he sees the, the rest of the team can pick him up that he doesn't have to do as much because we're just one, two threes away from Austin having just a massive game. And I'm wondering if a, or if LeBron sees that and thinks I don't need to do as much and kind of falls back on a jump shot, which can or cannot hurt the Lakers in certain times. Yeah. I think that there's definitely some truth to that, right? The foot, it does seem to be bothering him. He doesn't seem to be quite as explosive as he used to be. And that's, you know, to be expected. So he is relying on the jumper a little bit more, also relying on teammates a bit more. I think the most of the criticism has just been, Hey, let's, let's just see him be a little bit more selective in terms of when he takes that, that three point jumper, when he's going to take that shot. But in general, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's at, 100%. I think the foot is an issue and I think that he's finding ways to contribute even though it's not at at 100%. Um and if the jumper does start falling, then all right, that's going to be a lot of fun because man, right now that's that's been the big issue is that the three-point shot has just not fallen in the postseason. Yeah, he was 50% in the play-in, so I'm pretty sure that it'll eventually come around, and I don't think the Warriors are going to shoot 21. They're not going to make 21 threes for the next six games. They may 16 or 17, but they may not shoot as well as they did uh, yesterday. But I just – I really hope that the Lakers – and then my last point was I really hope the Lakers learn from the Memphis series and they come out just a little bit stronger. Whether we win or lose the game – I like to be greedy and I want to win this game so that we can go home 2-0, but I just don't want them to come out flat and be like, oh, we're going home so we can just let them have this game, which is how I felt they did in game two versus Memphis without jaw. They kind of came out and been like, oh, if we win it, great, but we don't have to have it. I, I just hope they don't come out like that versus Golden State. Yeah, 100%. I mean, they, they've said it a bunch of times, be greedy, all that kind of stuff. Well, great. You're talking about it now. Now you got to do it. Now you got to do it. Now you got to get out there and win the game. Because I think, like you said, they they let they let an opportunity slip against Memphis. And I'll tell you what, the, the best teams in the NBA, both on the court and, and off, in terms of just the, the panned out big picture view of the series, as well as the micro level looking play by play within a game, the best teams will take advantage of your mistakes. They will notice when your defense is off a little bit on your rotation. They'll notice when uh, they've got a matchup they can exploit and they will con- exploit it consistently. Same thing in a series. If you don't take care of business in a game, the other team, the Warriors are a team that's good enough to see, hey, we got an opportunity here and then they're going to capitalize on that. So this is a big game too for the Lakers. If they can, and I'm not expecting them to be the favorite or anything like that going in. I think the Warriors are going to, I haven't looked at the betting odds, but I'm sure the Warriors are going to be the favorite for game two. They know they need to win it. But if you're the Lakers and the chance is there to win this one, if the opportunity is presented with you, you can't mess around. You've got to go out there and get it done. It's who knows, maybe the Warriors come out and they're shooting 60% from three and, and that's it. There's just not much you can do. That's possible, but it's also possible that the game gets into crunch time and you've got a chance to win this thing and you've just got to make smart decisions and execute and not 
switch off at all. They're going to have to be sharp this entire game in game two. And I thought they were for the most part in game one, but they're going to have to be switched on all game. They're going to have to be sharp in order to give themselves a chance to win it in, uh, in this outing. Yeah. The, I, I just checked it. The Warriors right now starting out in five and a half point favorites for mm-hmm. game two, but they were four and a half in game one. And I, I felt like the Lakers were other than the first six minutes of the game, like you guys are saying on the, on the post game show, the Lakers were the better team for yeah. m- majority of that game minus the 14 0 run in the first six minutes when they came out a little flat, but the Lakers were the better team. So I feel like they definitely have a shot. Yeah. Yep. 100%, 100%. But all right, Sid, thank you so much for coming on here. I, I appreciate it. Thanks Trevor. It's always good talking to you. Have fun tomorrow in Hollywood. I wish I could be there, but I'll be on playback for sure. All right. That's, that sounds great. Thanks man. Have a good one. You too. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. I've got uh, on ESPN, they're showing Golden State as a six-point favorite. Um, and not a surprise. The expectation is going to be for Golden State to bounce back, to fire back and get a win and, and go back to LA 1-1. Um, but you know what? The Lakers just may have something in store for them. Particularly, man, I went back and I looked even at Minnesota. The Lakers have had one good three-point shooting game so far in the postseason. That's including the play-in. One and that was game one against Memphis. Since then, other than the one game one against Memphis, of the remaining what is that eight games when you include the play in, um, or no, that's seven games of the remaining games, the seven games they only had one game where they were above 30 percent from three. In other words, look at it this way they of eight games, they had one game where they shot above 40 percent, one game where they shot above 30 percent. The remaining six games they shot in the mid-20s in terms of three-point percentage. They're not a great three-point shooting team, but they're not quite that bad either. And so if the Warriors come out fired up in game two, they've got some adjustments and things like that. One of the things that can mitigate that type of context around a game is a hot three-point shooting night. Now, I talked about this going into game five against Memphis too, but if the Lakers can find a way to get that positive regression game in game six, or I'm sorry, in game two, all bets are off. I mean, that could, that can be enough to pull the Lakers even. I mean, my goodness, again, 24% from three uh, in game one against the Warriors, and, and you get the win. If you shoot 35%, right, that's another between six and nine points you can tack on your, under your total. That can make a really big difference, really big difference. So what can the Lakers do in terms of, they're not going to shoot as many threes as the Warriors, but what can they do? to knock in a higher percentage of the ones that they do. That's going to be critical to watch. And then, of course, the game within the game, the adjustments. What adjustments do the Warriors make? How do the Lakers adapt to those adjustments? And so on. That's what we're going to be watching in game two. But I want to thank everybody for joining me over here live on AMP. If you haven't done so already, make sure you follow the show on AMP. That way you get notified every time I go live. Uh, we'll have a consistent schedule during the offseason of when we're going to do these. But during the playoffs here, kind of depends on what day's games are on. So, Make sure you do subscribe to the show. Of course, follow me on social media at Trevor underscore Lane on uh, Twitter at Trevor Lane NBA on Instagram. Keep everybody up to date when we're going to do these call-in opportunities. Always great to get to talk Lakers basketball with fans. Again, come join us over on uh, tomorrow for game two. Lakers, uh, Warriors, and we're going to be at State Social House in West Hollywood. So come join us for that one. Doors open at 530. Use the Party Shark app to sign up. If you're watching over on YouTube, I'm going to drop the link in the description down below.
Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.